I don't know if this is necessary. I just wanted to say something about uh, the Gregorievs change and in their ministry coming over to America now. You might uh, think, oh, well, we don't need to support them anymore or, you know, because they're not out in Africa anymore that uh, they're not doing important work. But that is far from the case. Actually, they're probably going to be more um, helpful to the ministry at large doing what they're doing in America uh, for the work in Africa and other places than they could be in Africa. You know, they could uh, just do more and affect more people and get more output out there. So um, I think it's a, a tremendous ministry that they have, and I think that, you know, supporting something that that uh, presents the gospel in the way that they are able to present it to people who are not used to reading. They're used to stories, and they're used to being read to, of hearing things and seeing things is extremely effective. And so, uh, again, if it's something the Lord puts on your heart to uh, maybe increase your giving just a little bit to help them, that would be a tremendous blessing. And there are the... Did you mention the cards, the yellow cards? There are these little yellow cards out there. If you want to just write a little note uh, saying that you're going to do that, that would be, that would be just fine. Okay. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter and chapter 2. While you're doing that, we just have uh, a couple of basic announcements. The uh, new Wednesday night Bible study, as you can see now, it's August 31st. August 31st. Uh, I might bump that time up to 7 o'clock if that's okay. Uh, so that will probably be 7 p.m., not 6.30 p.m. Uh, if any of you have a problem with doing it a little bit later, please let me know, okay? And then, um, of course, Monday there, the sign-ups are, are there. Um, everything else is a, about the same. We are... Going through this great epistle of Peter, First Peter, and last week we considered the, the closing verses of chapter 1, which concerned the incorruptibility, the endurance of the word of God, that it lasts forever. Let us remind ourselves of that passage because it links up with verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, which I'm going to speak on today. So, starting then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. 
The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, I'm not a great adverse uh, advertisement to myself here. If you look at the third point, it says a role, R-O-L-L, for scripture. And I managed in using four words to get two of them wrong and have it printed without seeing it. My apologies. I'm very sorry. I don't know what I was doing or thinking. It should say a role for experience. A role for experience, that third point. And obviously, it's not talking about a roll, R-O-L-L, is it? It's not talking about a drum roll or a bread roll. So that is down to me, okay? I don't know how I missed it, but I, you know, whatever I did, it's R-O-L-E, of course. So if you can correct that in the third point, uh, I think uh, we'll be on the same page. All right. Otherwise, you know, there could be issues, couldn't there? Now, in uh, the opening of this second chapter, you can see the word therefore, which means that it follows on directly from the thought that I've read out to you at the end of First Peter, which had to do with obeying the truth, which is in the word of God. The word of God is transformative. It is spirit-powered and spirit-backed. It is also transformative for us if we will obey it and we will love one another fervently out of a pure heart. If we don't love one another out of a pure heart, then clearly we're not paying much attention to the word of God because the word of God is constantly telling us about our sin and about our need to repent from our sin. If we don't love one another fervently, then I think there's a a problem, there's an issue with our relationship with the Holy Spirit who does love us fervently. This word we have, it's an incorruptible, it is a permanent word as we saw last week. Everything else falls away. Everything else will be destroyed. But the word of God, verse 25, endures forever. That means it's the most valuable thing that's on earth. Without the word of God, we don't have truth. Without the word of God, we don't have the wisdom that we need in a world created by God. Without the word of God, we don't have the gospel. We don't have the good news about Jesus. We don't know the character of our creator. He becomes a mystery to us. And we, uh, any kind of a opportunity that we may have to take some time aside and think about him, 
will all only be guesswork. But we don't have to guess about what God is like because we have his word. We don't have to guess what we have to do to be saved because we have his word. We don't have to guess how God wants us to live our lives and what is a priority and what's not a priority. What's important and what's not important. What to keep hold of and what to let go. Because we have his word. In the West, we have a surfeit of his word. We have as many Bibles as we can, you know, we could possibly want. If we want to fill our garage with Bibles, we can do so. Why would we'd want to do that? I don't know. But we can get hold of any amount of copies of the Word of God. That's not so in many places in the world. And in many places in the world, people, they will desire not just a Bible, but a part of the Bible to read. They recognize its value. They recognize what it is. And they want it. They want to desire it, or they desire it. Excuse me. We, uh, sometimes, well, yeah, there's my Bible. It's sitting on the shelf over there. I should, I should, you know, get that down and read it sometime. And, of course, we don't. We have that kind of uh, laissez-faire attitude towards the Bible sitting on our shelves. And we do that because we don't value it. We don't realize what it is. And so it's not a priority. We don't desire God's word. And if we don't desire God's word, then I think we need to uh, ask ourselves, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with our hearts? What's wrong with our souls? What's wrong with our minds? What's wrong with our relationship to God? Do Do we think, for example, that, okay, I've read that bit, so I know that bit, so I don't need to reread that bit? I've read the gospel. I get people, it drives me nuts, I'll tell you. Drives me nuts. People say, I've read the Bible. Okay? Sometimes, I don't know, I hope it's not me getting in the flesh, but I will sometimes say, okay, so what chapters the Ten Commandments in them? What book is the Ten Commandments in? You know, where is the Sermon on the Mount? What's the book of Ephesians about? I'm not asking you. Okay? You're glad I'm not asking you what the book of Ephesians is about. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell us that there's a lot more reading that we've got to do, a lot more study that we've got to do. In fact, it never ends. And that's not even introducing the big issue. And the big issue is the fact that because of our sinfulness, we have a tendency to look at what the Word of God says, nod our approval to it, go away and disobey it. Just like James says. 
We come to that mirror of the word. We look at ourselves and then we go away and forget what manner of people we were. So we need to keep coming back to those passages, those passages that we've read, those passages that we think we're familiar with, which we're really not. We need to desire the word of God. Philip, uh, sorry, Peter, Philip. I was up late uh, the last few nights and I'm struggling here, sorry. Peter, when he's writing these words to the congregation, he doesn't expect that you just read them and say, okay, got it, thanks Peter, thanks for that, and just move on and live your life. This admonition to desire as newborn babes the pure milk of the word is supposed to uh, be an admonition to us every day. Every day we might ask ourselves, do I desire the word of God like a baby, an infant, desires to be fed? What happens when a baby doesn't get milk? Why does it cry? Because it desires, above everything else, desires to have that milk, yes? That's the illustration. Now, some translations, this is where uh, the NIV, I'm afraid, is is uh, bad, and a number of the more paraphrastic ones are bad. They don't translate this the way that it, it is in the Greek. They say, desire pure spiritual milk. Whatever that is. I've no idea what spiritual milk is. Okay? I do know what the the word of God is. You are to desire not spiritual milk. Okay? In fact, that's a, that's a terrible mistranslation. Because, because the idea of desiring spiritual milk is that you're okay with the, with just milk. Okay? Not, not hard meat. Okay? That's a terrible translation. The idea here is just, it's an illustration, it's a metaphor. You are to desire the word of God just as a baby desires milk. That's what Peter's saying. Not to be okay with milk this is not a proof text for someone who says, I don't want to study the Bible. I don't want to, uh, you know, get into the depths of doctrine and things like that. I'm not talking about academics here. I'm just talking about growing and, and growing in our understandings and so on. I don't want to do that. I just want to stay a baby. This is not a proof text for that. In fact, what he's saying here is led up to, in verse 1, by an admonition to let go of our sins, to let go of our vices, to let go of those things that uh, cling to us and easily beset us, those things that that are about us and that are part of us that God doesn't like. Such things as, look at verse 1, malice, 
Can a Christian have malice to some another Christian? Something about that person, maybe something that they've done, something that they've said that's hurt you, or they've ignored you, or, you know, there's something about their personality. It might well be a, a, a sinful trait that they have, and you just don't like that, and so you don't like them, and therefore you have malice towards them. Or maybe, I don't know, for any kind of a reason, you find that you just don't like that person. And you get a little bit malicious about that person. Peter says, lay it aside. If you've got malice towards anybody, you think God approves of that? You think God likes that? You think that's Christ-like? Check yourself. Check your heart. If you have malice, deal with it. Get rid of it. You shouldn't have it. Not just malice, deceit. You know what deceit is, yes? Trickery. The idea is, is trickery or, or being underhand or, you know, making people believe one thing when you, you really, uh, are about something else. Deceit. Lying. Twisting the truth. Maybe putting a bit of truth in there, but you're using the truth not to obey the truth, but to manipulate somebody. You're just like the devil, because he does that. And I'm just like the devil when I practice deceit. It needs to be put off. Hypocrisy. We dealt with hypocrisy last week. But you can never deal too much with hypocrisy because we all have this tendency to be hypocrites, to put up a mask, this, you know, pretend we tell people this is the real us. This is us, yes? When we know, and we know God knows, it's not the real us at all. We're pretending we're this way to this kind of a person, this way to that kind of a person, Or maybe we're expecting things from other people that we're not willing to do ourselves. We want them to inquire into their lives, into their sins, into the things that uh, are faults or or, uh, problems in their lives, but we're not willing to do it ourselves. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy and none of it was positive. Which means that when we stand before him, he'll have quite a lot to say about our hypocrisy. And none of it's going to be positive. Best thing to do, I think, is to put it aside. Stop it. Not just once, because the problem is it keeps coming back, doesn't it? Every day, every day, every every time we encounter it. Envy. Someone's got a nicer house than we have, a nicer car than we have. You know, whatever it might be. Envy. Put it off. An evil speaking. 
gossip. Saying things that are not edifying. Saying things that the devil can use. This is just a sample list. In the uh, ancient world, it wasn't just uh, in uh, the Bible that you see these so-called sin lists. And you see them all over the Bible. Paul uses them a lot. You see them also in other, uh, in pagan philosophers. They liked to use these sin lists. In that way, they're actually more advanced than we are. We don't like these sin lists, do we? Okay? When you, when's the last time you saw a sin list? They used to have sinless in the ancient world because they were concerned, they didn't always follow it, but they were concerned with um, character. Now, sometimes they, they missed out some very important sins. But as far as the Bible is concerned, these sinless are representative of our sins, the sins that we commit all the time. And all of these sins, you'll notice, they're all relational. They all have to do with how we are towards other people. Because the second great commandment is what? Is what? Love one another, yes. Or, to put it in other terms, to... Uh, make sure that other people and their concerns are more important than you and your concerns. And so, what Peter is saying here is that there is an approach to the Word of God that we often forget about. And that is looking at ourselves and seeing if there is any sin, any vice in our hearts, in our lives, any unforgiveness before we read the word of God. Because if we read the word of God and we've got all of these sins clogging up the machinery, we're not going to benefit much from the word of God, are we? I mean, because we're not prepared to obey it. Let's face it. We've got these sins that we're still uh, clinging to us. So we need to be willing to humbly examine ourselves, repent, confess, put things right before we come to the word of God. And maybe that will have an impact on our desire for the word of God which is the second point here, desiring to grow. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why Christians may not desire to grow as Christians, okay? And it's not necessarily to do with the fact that they've got a lot of vices clinging to them. That certainly be one thing to, to look at. Others could be they're just lazy, or that they've got the priorities wrong, uh, wrong, you know, in the wrong way. Or they're more feelings-based than they are truth-based. That's often a problem. Because if it's your feelings-based, and if you don't feel 
like reading the Bible and putting some effort in today, you won't. And Satan's going to make sure you have plenty of those feelings. Whatever, the admonition is, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Desire it. Desire to want to grow through the word of God. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there speaks about, in fact, he's not, uh, he's, he's complaining. But though by this time, verse uh, 12 of chapter 5, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. What's he doing here? Is he commending them? Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Not the word of academic theology. Not the word word of exegesis. The word of righteousness. That's what God's concerned about. If you're not concerned about this book, you're not concerned about righteousness. This is the way. This is what God has provided for us. We're not automatically righteous just because we're Christians. I mean, we are as far as God is concerned because Jesus has taken our sins away. But are we living righteously? Automatically? No. That's something we have to constantly uh, train ourselves up to be. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Remember that for our third point. Discernment. Many Christians don't have good discernment because they're not in the Bible. The psalmist says this, Open my eyes that I may may see wondrous things out of thy law. Open my eyes. What's that expressive of? A desire. Lord, open my eyes. So when I'm reading your word... I understand more of it. It it becomes clearer to me. It impacts me more. It changes my mind and my heart. Open my eyes. Well, God's not going to answer that prayer if you're not even in the book. Lord, open my eyes, even though I'm ignoring your law. That doesn't sound quite as uh, spiritual, does it, That, that prayer? Okay? Lord, bless me, even though I haven't read your word for the last month. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul commends the uh, Thessalonians there because of the way that they receive the word of God. We looked at this last week, but uh, this is a great passage to remember. 
Paul says that when you received the word, you received it not as, let me, uh, the word of man, but as the word of God, which works effectually in you. Why does it, why did it work effectually within the Thessalonian Christians? Because they received it for what it is. They identified it for what it is. I understand that we can feel jaded about the Bible. I understand that. But even if we feel jaded about, about the Bible because of circumstances that we may go, be going through, because we haven't slept well enough, because there are so many distractions or, you know, for whatever many reasons there may be, we still have to have an understanding of what it is. It doesn't stop being the word of God just because we're a bit jaded. And so even a jaded person is duty-bound to acknowledge what this is. It is the word of God to him. It's the word of God to her. And to desire to read it and to obey it. We're human beings. We get tired. We get discouraged. We get distracted. We all know this. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if, if we would remember everything we read in the Bible or everything we, we uh, heard from last week's sermon. But I know that, you know, not even I remember everything from last week's sermon, and I, it was my sermon. So there has to be this constant work to want to grow. Which uh, brings us to the third point, which should read a role for experience. Because verse 3 says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, the Puritan John Flavel wrote a great book called The Mystery of Providence. And uh, there's a great quote in there that says, God cannot be glorified for providences that have been forgotten. How many times has God come through for you? How many times has God delivered you? How many times have you noticed that in the hard times, in the struggles, when the obstacles are far too high for you to even look over and you wonder on earth, how on earth are you going to make it into the next week, the next month? How are you going to deal with all of these things that are coming your way? And, lo and behold, praise God, you get through because God is bigger than your problems. And yet we forget about the deliverances of God. We forget how kind God has been in the past. Maybe we should make a note of them. Maybe we should remind ourselves and reflect 
upon what God has done for us and our experiences with a faithful God. That's the role of experience. Knowing that God is gracious. It's important to know that God is gracious in our experience so that we remember, we recall, when we read the book, that this God we're reading about, this duty that is put before us, this promise that is being set out for us, this hope that we have is based on a God who we know is indeed gracious. So the word matches our experience. Our experience matches the word. It's not that God's going to pave all of our way for us. It's not that there are not going to be any thorns and thistles in our way. This earth is cursed. And those thorns and those thistles, whether they're literal or whether they're metaphorical, they exist in this world. Discouragements, problems, hassles of all kinds of shapes and sizes happen in this world. And yet, this book that we're reading, that we are obeying, that we are coming to, having examined ourselves and put away those things that we know God doesn't like, This book tells us of a great salvation that lays ahead for us when all of the things that now beset us are laid aside forever of physical pain, our financial woes, our concerns about what the government may or may not be doing. And a hundred other things. All of these we will be delivered from. We, we have been saved from. The glory that we are moving towards includes none of them. So that is our hope and it's a fixed hope as, as we've seen many times before. God is gracious and he's gracious to such an extent that he is going to take away every single pain and tear, every problem, every issue away from our existence forever and replace it with love and joy and peace. This book, the Bible, is a big book. And there are, you know, there are sometimes a difficult choice as to, okay, where should I read today? What should I read? How should I read? As far as daily reading is concerned... I recommend that you pick a book and you read through it. You determine to read through it. Don't, you know, pick a bit here, pick a bit there. Don't be like, we've got a chicken. 
Okay? Don't be like our chicken that, that uh, is picking and pecking over the, this way and then sees something over this way and picks and pecks over that way and then goes, you know? Don't be like that with the Word of God. Pick a gospel, say. Read the whole gospel. And then maybe decide, oh, I'm going to try and read the whole Bible. And there are different ways to read the Bible. A good way that I might recommend is read it alphabetically. Okay? That way you'll be sometimes in the Old Testament and sometimes in the New Testament. Yeah, that's easy, yes. Because I know, you know, you start in Genesis and things are great and things are fine and then you get into the book of Leviticus and you think, you know, shoot me now. <laughs> you know? Because, and, and you know that numbers is coming up next. <sighs> okay. So I, w- everybody understands that. That's important. It's inspired, but it's not the most exciting sometimes. So choose where you're going to read. Make sure you, you, you read some of those historical narratives in the Old Testament. They're very important. And read the Bible. It will feed you. It will feed your desire for it. And it will help you to obey God and be the kind of Christian that Peter wants us to be. So we need to let go of our sins before we come to the word. Paul talks about putting off and putting on. We need this desire to grow, which is not just based in feelings, but it's based on uh, a knowledge of our duty before God and are wanting to be wise as we live our lives in this world and not be ashamed when we stand before Christ. And then we need to remember God is gracious so that the one we're reading about, the the one who is telling us to do these things and about these things, we know he's a good God. We know he's gracious. He's not a hard taskmaster. And so we fit those two things together and we benefit and we grow by it. And our lives are directed, you see, by those things. So what am I, how am I going to close this sermon? Well, I'm going to ask you, aren't I? I'm going to ask myself, do we desire God's word? Do we desire it? And how is that desire manifest? When's the last time you read the Bible? I mean, I'm not talking about your favorite verse. That's all great. That's all good. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. I'm talking about, and Peter's talking about, desiring the whole Bible. Because it's all God's word. Where do you stand as far as that question is concerned? Where do I stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these words 
and these admonitions from Peter and help us to join together the word of God with our experiences of your grace and your deliverances and your kindness and your providences and combine them, Lord, so that we are more of what you want us to be, a peculiar people zealous of good works, a light in the darkness. Help us at all times, in every situation, Lord, always to have this desire for your word, because your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen.